welcome everyone back to um, this is our final episode of 2020. Very fitting that is episode six featuring Bang the Can Slowly. This paper was the winner of the reproducible research competition at the Carnegie Mellon Sports Analytics Conference, October 2020. I'm Ron Yurko. And I'm Kostas Palakrinis. And so we're very excited to discuss this paper with the two authors. We have professors Ryan Elmore and Gregory Matthews. Ryan Elmore is an assistant professor in the Department of Business Information and Analytics in the Daniels College of Business at the University of Denver. He earned his PhD in statistics at Penn State University and worked as a senior scientist at the National Renewable Energy Laboratory prior to DU. He has over 20 peer-reviewed publications and outlets such as uh, Journal American Statistical Association, Biometrica, American Statistician, Big Data, Journal of Applied Stats, Journal of Sports Economics, um, and you know now he is an official winner of the Reproducible Research Competition. He is currently an associate editor for the Journal of Quantitative Analysis of Sports, JQAS, and has recently organized his own conference over at DU, the Rocky Mountain Symposium on Analytics and Sports. Thanks for joining us, Ryan. Thanks for having me. I look forward to talking about this paper. It's been fun. Yeah, and we're also joined co-author and first guest of the pod, uh, Professor Gregory Matthews. Completed his PhD in stats at University of Connecticut in 2011. 2011 to 2014, he was a postdoc in the School of Public Health at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Since 2014, he has been a professor of statistics at Loyola University of Chicago. I will continue to say that name wrong every time I say it. Where, according to his biography, he had led the men's basketball team to the Final Four in 2018. It's not <laughs> true. But he was recently promoted to associate professor with tenure in March 2020. That is indeed true. Welcome back, Greg. Um. Ron, it's just, it's always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure coming on this podcast. And as we were talking before, this is officially the third paper that Greg Matthews is co-author of that we have featured now on the show. And we'll have to put a halt on that embargo so we don't have any more Greg Matthews papers for some time as we continue this podcast. Uh, there's no other papers. This is it. Those are my <laughs> papers. All right. So to get started, um, you know, this paper, Bang the Can Slowly, uh, which won our competition back in October. You know, this was about a very popular topic. That, you know, it was a big news story in sports uh, prior to the whole global pandemic thing shaking up all of our lives, uh, but the Houston Astros cheating scandal. So I want to get a sense from the two of you, the, the motivation for this project uh, and, you know, some of your big takeaways. Um. So the motivation, <clears throat> uh, excuse me, um, I guess Greg and I have been talking about working on something for a while. Uh, we we kind of have a, a connection going back to my days at Penn State. Um, Greg's PhD advisor was one of my classmates there at Penn State. So um, he and I have been just throwing some ideas back and forth. And we were working on a different baseball paper a couple years ago, and that definitely just fizzled out. Um, and then, I don't know, it was about a year ago, I guess. Uh, I started thinking about this problem a little bit and I just reached out to Greg and he was like, yeah, we should definitely do it. And we can do X, Y, and Z and started running with it. He, he actually found the, uh, the data set that we'll talk about here in a little bit. So it's been, um, it, the motivation was just to work together 
and this problem happened to to appear right about the time the time we were talking about it. I don't know, Greg. Do you? Is that true? I I, I I still remember you you were talking to someone, and they said, "Hey, you should write about this," and you were like, "Okay." And so then we sort of <laughs> um, we sort of talked about it before the we're going to talk about the Tony Adams data. We had talked about this and seeing how, how could we analyze this. Um, and it, it was difficult. And I said, well, what we really need is we need information about whether there were bangs on the pitch. And we didn't really have that when we started. And then like all of a sudden, like a gift, this data set appeared from, uh, from Tony Adams, which we'll talk about. Yeah, I, I think let's, let's dive into that actually. So this, this Tony Adams data set, and this, this is to me, you know, it, this is the big component, right? That leads to all of this analysis, right? So like, absolutely. actually, how is this done? Because he talked about in the paper the description of what using a spectrogram to identify, and I'm just thinking to myself, this is a tough challenge in of itself. Like, do I need audio recordings of all of all of these games? You know, I have then games that I'm trying to consider as control, right, to detect when now, I don't do any audio analysis, so I'm just winging it right here in terms of what I'm saying. But I'm just thinking in my head, this is a challenging hypothesis test to repeatedly do to identify the bangs. Um, and I just want to know, like, what did you take away from that data? And what did you have to process? And, you know, obviously it leads to, in my opinion, clear signals in your analysis. So there might be like some fuzziness in terms of what uh, the Tony Adams data set has necessarily, which wouldn't be surprising, right? But there's definitely something going on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we we took his data set as as truth. Like we we didn't we didn't approach it, you know, with the critical eye that maybe we should have. In that, like, oh, are there, you know, where are the errors in this particular data set? Um, we just, you know, kind of accept that this is going to be. We hope that it's correct. Um, and he seemed like, you know, he. There's a great website called uh, SignStealingScandal.com, which, you know, if you're interested in this, it's worth checking out. Um, but he, he, you know, talks about how he downloaded all the YouTube videos and he, uh, you know, created or generated the spectrograms prior to each pitch on, you know, the 58 games that he looked at. And every now, or he mentions in on the website that every now and then he wasn't quite sure if he, he picked up a signal. So he would go back and recreate the spectrogram just to see if that, that signal was indeed there on the the audio file so i mean, I mean it kind of seems like he he vetted what he was doing um but you know again we don't know for sure um i do like how you were kind of uh saying that that is the the big point of this or one of the big points of the paper really i mean it, it's an incredible data set and you know greg and i have mentioned many times that it's just amazing that all this work that he he put into creating these spectrograms for people to analyze is is kind of gone unnoticed aside from you know a, a handful of people that like us that that have actually noticed it. Hopefully, more people will actually use what he's done because it's it's a great resource. Yeah, it's just interesting data. I mean, the amount of that that is a huge public contribution of itself. That was he. An Astros fan was that the whole point? Was he a very like disgruntled Astros fan, or was he someone that hated the Astros and decided to do this? He he's an Astros fan, but he also is a 
um, he just wanted to know. But I believe he is an Astros fan, and I think he's just trying to look at it from a, um, an objective perspective. Yeah, no, that's great. The uh, yeah, we'll add the the link to the data set and then the source uh, in the show notes as well for people to check out. Yeah. So can I add? Can I? I'm going to add that um, we didn't. We are considering um, this data to be to be truth, um, and we didn't like formally go and vet it in terms of like let's go see let's go see how much let's go see if we can reproduce his work. But we do sort of informally vet it when we look at do the do the bangs match up with the types of pitches that they should be indicating, and that's definitely definitely clear in in the data that we that we see. Yeah, and to add to that, the um, it was the most effective use of a mosaic plot I've seen in live presentation when you did that actually at our at our conference. The um, to just even add to that, like I I wouldn't even expect right for when they did the bangs for for this cheating purpose for them to be right every time as well. So it's definitely appears that this process and Tony Adams' own vetting of going back to the videos. To me, it points to this is pretty good. We can we can rely on this. The um, but it's definitely just an interesting data set to begin with, because then you join it to um, if you want to get an overview of the the traditional baseball data that then you accessed. Because there's one component here of um, the baseball prospectus uh, pitch classifications. Uh, we will provide some detail about that. Yeah. Okay. So so there's there's three. There's three sources of data that we ended up using here. Um, there's the Bangs data set, which is from Tony Adams. And the, the data set that he uses, um, he, he, he ties the Bangs data set back to StatCast. So StatCast is that, that second source of information. This is publicly available, um, this is publicly available data um, that, that Major League Baseball releases. And there's like, a, there's like an ID on these things, uh, or there's like a pitch ID and there's like a game ID. And time the timestamps. What? Timestamps. Oh yeah, and timestamps. Yeah, yeah. So you can, you can, you. It's all the information about at the pitch level about all the stuff that you that you need. And so the Bangs data set at its at its core is indexed by Statcast data. So it's easy to match Statcast data from the Bangs data set to Statcast data, um, in in beyond just these Astros games. And so we, we, the only thing we actually ended up using this, the, the other StatCast data for was the exit velocity variable because the other, the other StatCast data that we needed was already on the, back, the Bangs data set. Now, um, there, is, um, there is pitch type and pitch categories on the StatCast data, but my, uh, my industry contacts have uh, repeatedly told me that these are not the most accurate pitch classifications. And so they, they pointed me towards this set of data called uh, the pitch info data. And pitch info data is uh, a data set that um, is, is created by uh, a few people who work for Baseball Prospectus. Um, it's Harry Pavlides, and then I, 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 they're going to kill me, but I forget the other person who's in charge. Um, and this is, they're is actually it Brooks? going, it's Brooks, Brooks it's Brooks. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I, I, I knew that. Let's edit that out. Um, <laughs> And so these have this data set has more accurate uh, pitch classifications than Statcast. Um, there was all there's also and, and so then this was linked through um, this was linked through you know um, 
the game ID, the timestamp, and the teams that we're playing. You can, you can create a link between the pitch info data and the StatCast data, and so they can link them all together. And that's basically the, that was the foundation for, or that was the creation of the data set that we started using. So I guess uh, here also you can use the bank data to see whether that's uh, more accurately classified for the pits, right? That's true. So you could have you could have compared uh, uh, the bangs with Statcast and the bangs with Pitch Info and see which one works out. There, I mean, they're they're pretty close, Statcast and Pitch Info, but there are uh, there are definitely discrepancies between the Pitch Info and the Statcast. Okay, thanks. The um. It's good to have that overview because now going into the actual modeling that you did then with um, to assess this bang impact. So you, you break it down in terms of three separate models you looked at of a swing probability model, a contact model, and then the exit velocity model. So one of the things I kind of want to talk about was the differences in terms of uh, these specifications or like the variables included in these models. So just to lay it out there, right, you're using in the paper described general generalized linear mixed model. So also meaning uh, people will say mixed for multi-level hierarchical, right? It can, it's the same term for different things, right? Having the aspect of random intercepts for different players for their, their each component, but pulling uh, information together, right, to get these player level attributions on like the the influence of a bang for the separate players. So can you go into how you went about constructing each of these models separately? And you know, what were your ways of evaluating them in this instance? Was it about doing some predictive checks? I think that's you. That's me. Okay. So um so let's first of all let's talk about what's in what's in these models so in terms of the in terms of the random effects here the the, the swings model um the random effect that we used was the we have a we have a batter effect and that's all we have is a, for a random effect in the swings model um in the in the contact model so this it's contact conditional on swing so given there's a swing what's the probability of contact in this model, there's random effects for both, there's random intercepts for both the pitcher, the batter, and then there's a random slope for bangs for each of the batters. Um, and for the exit velocity model, I believe there's random intercepts for both the, there's a random intercept for both the pitcher and the batter. So uh, let's, let's sort of talk about conceptually what, what random effects make sense. So let's start with the swings model. So in the, in the swings model, when you are, when you're trying to decide what what is going to affect the probability of a swing? So where, where what what sources of variability are there that you that can be used to describe a swing? And so if you think about what leads to someone leads to a baseball player swinging, it's it's very heavily dependent on things like the count, right? And in the in the state in the state so the game state, right? It's also uh, important to consider the quality of the pitch. So those are, those are fixed effects that we use in this model, along with like fastball. But the probability of swinging is going to vary, like conceptually, it's going to vary quite greatly among individual players, right? It doesn't really, so this, this is also backed up by the data, but conceptually, it doesn't really seem like the, a pitcher, once you control for the count 
and uh, the quality of a pitch, like controlling for those things, it doesn't seem like the, it doesn't make sense that the pitcher would ha add variability to the probability of a swing. And that's backed up by the, by the data. If you do fit a model here with, um, in the swings model, if we fit a, um, a model with a random intercept for, for pitcher, you end up with a, a very, very small variance component. Nothing, nothing formal here, like doing any sort of hypothesis testing to, to see if it's significantly different than zero, but you end up with a really, really small variance component. And also conceptually, I don't think it should be included in the model. Now, when you go to a contact model, this is, this is different now. So given that someone is, given that, a, given that a player swung at the ball, um, contacting the ball is a skill that's going to vary by the batter. It's also going to vary by the pitcher, right? Because pitchers are, you know, um, different pitchers are going to have more movement on their pitches. And that's what's going to make it harder to make contact with. So there is variability conceptually among these pitchers. And this is also backed up when you look at the variance component. It's, it's I, I'm not going to use the word significantly large because, you know, that has actual implications. But it is, it is large and it makes conceptual sense. Uh, in addition, we have this random slope term between the players. And this, the idea here is that um, we, we think that, or our hypothesis here was that the bangs did not benefit the players equally um, across, um, uh, across the different players. The bangs did not benefit the probability of being contact equally across players. This again is, is borne out by the, by the data where we look at the variance component and we see that it is, uh, it's not, it doesn't, it's not close to zero. Um, again, no formal hypothesis testing here, but also it makes sense to us conceptually. All right. So the, other, the other thing I want to talk, the other thing, um, the other point I was trying to make about why we would have a batter component in the swing model, but not a pitcher component is if you think about when you're going to swing, you can think about it as um, like, imagine, imagine me going to the plate and I'm going to face a major league pitcher. Okay. Um, if the counts three and oh, all right, and I'm and I'm batting. For a strategic point of view, I'm not going to swing, right? And it doesn't matter who the it doesn't matter who the batter is. It doesn't matter who the pitcher is. I'm not, not going to swing. But now, given that I've swung, right? Now it matters greatly who I am as a batter and who the pitcher is, right? So it's sort of like a, um, a there's like a strategic component about whether or not you're going to swing. And then once you swing, it matters who you are as a batter and who the pitcher is. That's, that's sort of how I, I describe that conceptually. And then in, in the, um, in the uh, exit velocity model, we have both an intercept for the, the batter and the pitcher because both of those conceptually make sense. The harder the ball is thrown or, or the, the speed with which the ball is thrown is going to affect the exit velocity. Um, and then also your, how hard your swing affects the exit velocity. So those sort of naturally um, conceptually should be in the model. And this is also borne out by the data in, in terms of the size of the uh, – the variance component. Yeah, so no, that was an that was an excellent that was an excellent explanation. No, that makes complete sense. The the thing I'm wondering actually, just off the top of my head now that you said this, for the swing model, so for that you just did random intercepts for batters, right? Yes. I it would be actually did you look at to see like random slopes for the presence of bangs in the swing model? Like are there players that don't listen to it? Um, hmm. I, I, be I believe that at some point I checked that and it, I believe that we had, a, you end up with a very small variance, co co a variance component. Um, 
And I also think it's hard to justify that from a conceptual standpoint, but don't quote me. Or unless they were cheating in different ways. <laughs> the right, right, right. But it um, seems like it was a systematic same same way to cheat. One size cheats for all, right? <laughs> yeah. The team philosophy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what, so, what would? I just want to ask a follow up to Ron. What, what what would it mean conceptually? What does it mean that there would be a random slope for bangs in a swing model? It would be that um, the there's different prevalences of swinging or, or the, the probability of swinging based on the bangs is varying across players. If it was like the information provided to them about that pitch type, like them knowing, does it mean they know it's going to be a breaking ball? And so they decide to swing less versus the, they know it's going to be a breaking ball. And now they're sitting back and they're waiting to drive it opposite way. Like, I, I guess it would be, but that's affected in itself by the count, which you're adjusting right, for already. Right. So yeah, that's um, why I'm not sure how much it would. I'm not sure how much variability it would like suck up, right? Because yeah. So much being pulled out by the the. If you look at that model, the 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 count is like enormously. And that makes sense. Yeah. 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 So that's that's another reason why. Um, okay. That's all I have to say about that. Yeah. So, so I mean, for this. The, oh yeah. Uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, this is a little bit less technical than what Greg was just talking about. And yeah, Greg, you did a great job of explaining that much better than this morning when we were talking. Um, but I guess that's good that, you know, we, we did that this morning. Um, but we, we did want, you know, we, <clears throat> we were pretty intentional on that. We wanted to, to kind of traverse through this analysis in a, you know, a systematic way where we looked at swinging. Then let's condition on all those swinging pitches. Did they make contact? And then condition on that. Did they, you know, what, what was the effect on the exit velocity? So um, we wanted to take that, you know, pitch level or pitch specific information and kind of go through those three layers. Uh, and then, you know, we thought the GLMM framework was kind of the, the most appropriate at that point. Uh, so I had a question about the contact model. Uh, where you have uh, both pitcher and butter um, random effect. So I, I was wondering whether uh, it's irrelevant to the banks, but just it came as you were discussing it, whether you compare the components, uh, the variance explained by the two components. So what is more important, the, the quality of the butter or the quality of the pitcher into making contact? Good I, question. Can, I can look that up for you somewhere. Um, yeah. I, I'm gonna have to, I'd have to look that up. You know, we, we, we spent all this time figuring out what kind of stuff would we need for this podcast at the tips of our fingers and that did not cross our minds. Yeah. That uh, should have. That should have crossed. It's a great our question, mind. but hmm. maybe we can have a poll on Twitter to see if they will get it correct. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the the answer if you like the code to run that is on the is on the GitHub repository. And you get it as output. We just didn't write it down. Okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, we should do it. I don't cool. know what the answer is. I, in terms of exit velocity, <clears throat> that's a good question. Is it pitch? Is the pitcher random? Is the random? Uh, is the variance component of the pitcher larger than the batter, or is the batter larger? That's a good question. Definitely make that a Twitter poll. I'm gonna yeah. go. I'm gonna. Ugh, should we vote now? Should we vote? Greg, I think you are probably the most capable to set up a Twitter poll right at this moment. You want me to set up a Twitter poll? I, I think do it live. And then people people listening will know this is the moment they saw that tweet. 
All right, fair enough. I will set up the Twitter poll right now. You can go ahead and ask the next question. And I'll well, this is probably tweeting. This is probably like the the tenth tweet Greg's sent during this podcast. It, it probably I'm, is actually. I am paying. I am paying one hundred percent attention to this, except right now. <laughs> Um, so until you post the poll, I had another question about the data set. Um, so you said there are timestamps. Are there timestamps about the, the banks as well? Are they at that granularity to know, for example, how quickly after the bank the pizza came out, the pits came out? No. Well, so I mean, the the bang was. I, I mean, I, I could be making this up, but I, I, I want to say that I read, you know, I, it's like within a second of oh, the okay. actual pitch. Okay. I mean, you know, they flash the sign, there's a bang, and then there's a pitch. It's, it's a really quick process. And the, Tony matched the timestamps of, uh, um, of the actual pitch to uh, the YouTube videos mm -hmm. so that he, he was matching on those timestamps okay. to just look at preceding I, you know, a few seconds before the pitch, he would create or generate the spectrogram of the audio file. And so uh, we're talking about just a couple of seconds, not five, 10 seconds. Uh, yeah. Yep. But again, we, we, we didn't actually look at any of the, the spectrogram information. We mm -hmm. just said, yeah. you know, took it as there's a bang or not. And, I mean, you didn't look at the spectrum, but uh, do you, so there was a single bank for, uh, for just uh, that there will be a different type of pitch, right? So it wasn't that for different types of pitches, there were different signals. Right. It was just a bang for off-speed pitches. Okay. It's like impressive and it's, uh, and it's like primitiveness, right? <laughs> they, they, were, they were like, all right, we need two, we need a bang or not. And the bang just didn't indicated it was not a fastball and then to transmit it they were like what if we just hit a trash can with a baseball bat that was their that was this genius plan yeah i think that that table one in the paper sums that up pretty nicely in terms of the bang with the pitch type it's it's overwhelming right in terms of being the presence of a breaking ball type versus when versus fastball in terms of those percentages yeah yeah, yeah. So in going back to the modeling, you, know, you the third, and I, I really like how you broke it up in terms of, okay, it's the different parts of in a bat, right? Of, okay, do they swing or not? Then if they swing, do they make contact? And then the third component, how they hit it, right? The type of contact, you know, we're treating the swing, you know, contact itself as a continuous variable, right? You know, in the ideal world, we would love to have it where the actual bat was physically relative to the ball. Maybe one day we'll get that. But, you know, once conditioned on them swinging and, it's, you know, and making contact, you used exit velocity. But did you look at either, you know, launch angle or to me, like the ideal world is modeling that jointly, that joint distribution of exit velocity and launch angle, which is a much more difficult problem, obviously. Um, but have you thought about that route? Because I'm also just thinking the sense of the presence of bangs, like is this set up more for these players knowing when to sit back and they can really drive the baseball for like, does it, do you think is evidence of leading to more home runs potentially by this cheating process? 
So, um, quick question: Are you, are you, or did you happen to review our article? Um, because that, that was I a did not. No. I did not review um, any of the papers for the competition. I was I was just the advertiser. I, I'm just the I'm just the media man. <laughs> oh, I, I I actually meant you know uh, to the to the journal that we sent it to, not the oh, Coney. No. Uh, yeah, um, because that, that was one of the question or one of the responses that we got back. So, um, this is something that we've thought about, but. You know, initially when we when we started working on this, uh, I kind of thought, you know, that because it, you know, it, it's been in the news a lot. I I, I thought like if, if we actually write a paper and the analysis goes well, I, I feel like it could have been, you know, we, we could submit this paper to something outside of like, for example, JQAS. Like JQAS is an obvious outlet for it, but at the same time, like given its kind of wide appeal, you know, baseballs, everybody kind of understands it let's send it somewhere else. And, you know, I don't want to say better or anything like that, but like, let's send it to a, you know, a journal that has a wider readership. And we didn't want to spend too much, or we didn't want to, we didn't want to get overly technical on the baseball side of things. So like, if we, if we wanted to explain barrel to a general audience, you know, we would have to like, you know, write a few paragraphs in the article about barrel. I mean, we did, we did discuss barrel similarly, similarly for launch angle. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of weird, not weird, but it's, you would spend a little bit more time thinking about like the kind of the nonlinear relationship between like launch angle and quality of a hit, for example. And I mean, I don't think the lay person is necessarily going to, you know, grab onto that concept necessarily. Maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't, but I, I think exit velocity is pretty easy to understand as a dependent variable. Like if you hit the ball and it has a greater exit velocity, chances are it's a, in some sense, better hit, you know, or, or at least a harder hit. Um, so we, we decided to intentionally keep it simplistic there and just focus on exit velocity as our dependent variable. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think it's it's definitely like the natural starting point because I mean, launch angle is a little bit more odd, right? I mean, it's a directional yeah. variable. Um, yeah. I guess I'm wondering in terms of like that difference of knowing the breaking ball of how literally how the type of contact if they're hitting it out in front, like they're hitting on the top half of the ball versus. They're able to sit back and drive it. You know, this is this is purely subjective. Me speaking right now. The um, and so I I guess it's maybe what you hinted at there is this is actually something you're going to be looking at potentially of of the launch angle relationship. Um, potentially, or well, so I I Ryan was talking about how sort of in one of the comments we got back from a reviewer was about looking at um exactly what you're talking about, like launch angle and, and 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 the idea of barrels which combines launch angle and exit velocity and um in sort of a quick informal analysis just to like satisfy a reviewer um we went and we went and checked if there was any relationship with barrels and, and it doesn't there doesn't appear to be Got a it. strong relationship okay. between bangs and barrels um and so that's that's like what we found. Uh, what I literally said could just be wrong, right? It literally could just be it is as you said, Ryan. How hard they hit it is really just the the effect here, the um, which which would make sense, I guess. Um, 
Okay. No, that's just interesting to know. Like it's, I, I think like people that maybe have looked at like the Statcast data and whatnot know there are those two like measures of quality of hit, right? That they put together. And like when we, when we say if it's barrel or not, right? It's just some, it's what some reasonable combination of exit velocity and launch angle that what MLB advanced media kind of said like designated because a high proportion of them are home runs. I think that's literally just the justification for it. It's, it's a, it's like a, it's like a simple model where you have, you have launch angle and exit velocity as the probability. And then the response is either home runs or hits or something like that. Yeah. Like a slugging percentage or even like, yeah, it's exactly, it's exactly what you're talking about. I don't know the full details of it. Okay, yeah, no, that's interesting. Go ahead. So there, there, there are also, um, you know, those kind of derived metrics that I think it's like probability of a hit or something. And, you know, somebody suggested looking at the, prob- looking at the probability of a hit as the dependent variable. So in StatCast, there are these, you know, variables that they've come up with. But, you know, again, there, we didn't necessarily want to use something that's actually modeled because we don't really know the yeah, values associated with those models. I agree models. with you on that completely. Yeah. The only thing I, I would maybe, I, I guess this is just me thinking, like in addition to launch angle, like the spray angle, right? Maybe th- those two things are just additional things that kind of, you know, relate to the actual outcome of the contact. It would be interesting to see, you know, if knowing the breaking ball enables them to pull it and crush it more. Like, you know, how that literally the the horizontal angle of the the batted ball distribution has changed that just involves what more data collection itself though the um and it it could just not actually be interesting versus what you've clearly what you're clearly seeing is okay there is an association with uh the exit velocity right which is still in my like to me makes the most sense as like a one number way of yes as exit velocity increases it's more likely to be a hit, more likely to, you know, be a better type of hit, right? Versus launch angle, there's like a fine middle area, right? You don't want to hit it too high up in the air versus, right. you know, also versus hitting it straight into the ground, right? So that's like, it's it's the easiest one to interpret probably as well from this coefficient yeah. point of view of having these player level effects. Um, For sure. And we, we definitely wanted to keep things relatively simple because like what we were saying before, like we, we think that this is going to appeal to a wider audience. Um, so, you know, if somebody, for example, from the economist wants to write an article about, you know, what we did, they can understand. Well, it it so, should be something that's featured. I mean, it's, it's good analysis to actually show these effects of the, the Houston Astros are cheaters. And so I guess actually this, tie into something of a discussion point um, following a Twitter question we had from uh, Benjamin Robinson, uh, who was runner up, uh, <laughs> finished second in the Carnegie Mellon Sports uh, Analytics Reproducible Research Competition um, with his NFL draft work. He, and I think we're going to have him on at some point as well to discuss his paper, but his question was, why do you think the authors think that on the field, that on field improvements they discovered didn't translate into on field effects as mentioned in their references to articles published by uh, Rob, uh, Rob Arthur and also Ben Lindbergh? 
Um, so this is this is kind of an interesting thing is what this these other sites um, articles on like the Ringer, Baseball Prospectus, they looked at um, like war contributions, right, or different other like runs created metrics or something like that instead of just seeing these associations with the models you looked at like they looked at like run impact correct me if i'm wrong here so can you like can you talk about those differences and why as his question is applying like these disagreements then between like what you're observing versus the negating fact that they observed on players that got the bangs but then it just didn't actually help the team. Greg? So, so, so the first thing I want to point out here is that um, uh, this question's from, from Ben is that he, he was saying that, that um, he talked about Ben Lindbergh's article from The Ringer and he mentions Rob Arthur. And um, in, in The Ringer article that um, ben Lindbergh wrote about this. He's basically hit the, the, the title of the article is um, there's or the, the sub the subtitle is there's plenty of evidence the Astros stole signs. There's little evidence that gave them much of an advantage, and so this is one where he's basically saying they they didn't really find much. But Rob Arthur actually has an article for Baseball Prospectus where he does find differences um, in he does find differences in in certain types of performances. And so the way Rob was viewing it in this, he wrote, I think he wrote several articles about this for baseball prospectus, but one of them, um, what he did was he was, he tried to figure out where the bang started. And then he looked at what was the performance before that point and, and after that point. And uh, one of the things he, he notes is that the swinging strike rate uh, dropped dramatically after the bangs started happening. And this is, this is very consistent with what we're seeing here in terms of our swing model is that, or in terms of our contact model, when you're swinging, you're making contact more often with the banks, right? And so you would, you would expect to see uh, lower swinging strike rates. And that's exactly what Rob saw. So it's not, what we're seeing isn't totally inconsistent with what they did see. The other issue here is that they, we're, we're looking at this on a very different level. We're at like a, we're at the pitch level. It's much more granular. And, and they were looking at it sort of asking these big questions, like on, on, the, on the grand scale, um, how did bangs affect these? How, how did bangs affect the, the performance? But when you do it like that, you're, there's so much noise involved, right? You're saying, here's, here's the period of time where the bangs were happening, and let's just look at their performance. Well, there's so much other stuff that can affect the performance over these long periods of time where like bangs were happening. Yeah, honestly, happening. when I looked at the Ben Lindbergh article, I was just thinking that could just be any sort of maybe long period of time snapshot. Like right? you're just going to see positive and negative like that. I don't think it was the, the correct way of going about doing the analysis with the actual bang impact. Right. So like with us, we're actually saying, all right, let's just go and see at the pitch level. We have, we have pitches with bangs and without bangs and let's go look and see what's the difference here. So we sort of have, um, it's not an experiment, but it's sort of like a, uh, it's like a quasi experiment here, right? We have, um, we have pitches that are, that are off speed pitches with bangs present and with bangs, uh, with bangs not present. And so it's sort of, it, they're not, they're certainly not randomized, but um, you are getting to view both of these things on the same types of pitch, same quality of pitch, even across the same players. Right. And so we're really focusing on how much does the bang affect uh, performance at a pitch level, right? And so we're, we're removing a lot of the noise that you would that, that is inherent in looking at things on a macro level. 
So following, following up on that, is it possible then to, to basically simulate the season, the Astros games, uh, pitch by pitch, and get some idea of you know, how many wins did this add um, or stuff like that? So um, that's a great question, Kostas. And uh, we spent a fair amount of time talking about this prior, you know, like when we were doing our analysis and we were trying to like roll that micro level effect up into, you know, some story at the macro level. And it's just, it's really difficult. And um, we really wanted to get our article out as soon as possible. So we did, like Greg actually spent a fair amount of time trying to figure out like with some sort of, you know, like he, he was kind of drawing these decision trees on like, did they swing? Did they not? Like, here's the, you know, the effect size for, you know, comparing the swing, like if they swung, then here's the, uh, you know, the probability of making contact. And then if they made contact, here's, you know, exit velocity. And we were trying to tie that into some of the work that uh, Jim Albert had done, um, you know, a year or so ago. And then, it just became kind of a nightmare, but I think, I think it's possible. And, you know, maybe we need somebody super smart like yourself to uh, maybe help us out on some simulations here. So one of the things that Greg and I continually talk about is that there are so many other things that you could do, like in addition to what we've done. Um, and I think that would be kind of a great, great next step, like figuring out like what the actual impact is on the game, because for this, you know, very tiny effects on at the swing level or at the at bat level or sorry at the pitch level um as greg was saying i mean there's so much noise involved in going from there to you know how many runs the team scored at the end of the day that it, it, it's a pretty tough problem so so maybe uh, mlb video games should have a um a way to ask for banks and uh, then <laughs> simulate everything. Right, yeah. I mean, I think the, the holy grail of this, this stuff with the Astros would be to be able to say, look, here's, they cheated this year and it gained, they gained three wins. Like that would be, you know, that, that's the headline. That's when the media would pay attention. They'd be like, um, there needs, you need some number that says, here's how much the cheating was, was worth, right? It's, I mean, we think it's interesting that, like, uh, the odds ratio of the swings went up or went down 28%, right? But, like, that doesn't really tell a story the same way that saying, like, they gained three wins would, would, would tell a story, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's really what would be the interesting part. The, the video game thing, actually, interestingly enough, is one of the things Ryan and I were working on in the past is we were trying to use um, – well, we weren't trying to do We were trying to work with other people – who are going to use um, video games as a way of simulating these things. And we will, this is a, your suggestion is a great way to do this is to try to simulate, um, simulate a baseball game with like sort of the baseline level probabilities of, of players and, and pitchers and all these different things, and then just tweak them slightly mm -hmm. based on what, what are the new numbers that we're finding with um, the, the bang. So you would like lower the swing probability this much, you would raise the contact probability this much. And then once you do, once you do that, you can start to estimate the effect of the bangs. Mm -hmm. I, I just don't have yeah. that. I mean, I don't have that simulator handy to, to do that, but um, I, I'm sure you could do it with, if you knew what you were doing with some sort of like, um, I don't know, what do the kids play? Xbox, <laughs> PlayStation 5. 
Yeah, yeah, but um, just a parenthesis for for media headlines, you can just give them a number. I don't think they will check. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, I mean, we could we could just say they wouldn't have won the World Series, and then everybody will go go absolutely <laughs> crazy. So the simplest way, though, outside of doing like this full intensive simulation process, which is the correct way, I think, of like if you literally could simulate games with these at bad situations and the impact of this models um but you would literally have to do it at the pitch level right it's an intense process so that's why video games make the most natural sense some if you could somehow do that speedily but looking at the actual wind probability impact so using like a wind probability model at the pitch level um which i don't i don't know actually if they're if someone has a public wind probability pitch model you know i mean that in of itself is a project um, but assessing that impact is part of it was when I looked at that first figure in the paper where you show the number of bangs by the month and it peaks in August and then it goes back down in September. So like I was just instantly thinking the Astros dominated that season, right? Like they were in first place in September, it didn't even really matter. So were they under the pretext of they were being smart criminals and cheating when it was beneficial like cheating in more high leverage situations or were they literally just cheating the entire year this was something i was wondering about like if i'm gonna cheat and not get caught i'm gonna cheat when it matters <laughs> like isn't there like some strategy element to that versus just oh let's just cheat the whole time and you know which is i guess in baseball the most beneficial impact the on average it's great so over 162 games we're cheating the entire time to get that little impact um or is it like hey they made they clinched the division we don't need to worry about cheating you know just in case um right um so uh two two points one related to the figure uh i mean it we probably should have normalized the month by the the number of games that were played because like from basically june july and august they they were cheating at about the same rate on all the games there just happened to be more home games in august than than the two previous months so oh, on a that's, game basis, okay is that actually something here is this was only at home yeah yeah Got so it. Yeah. It, it was a whole, a big... and, and so in, in the bank's data set, the, uh, you know, the, well, I think he only looked at 58 of the home games. So there were more games played in the month of August, but at the same time, I think your point still stands in that. I think once, you know, like at September 20, 21st or whatever, they're up like 20 games over the rest of their division. And then the next four home games, they basically didn't really cheat. I mean, there there were few few bangs that at least Tony recognized in in the data set. Um, so I like that figure, but we probably should say like how many games there were per month, rather than just looking at the total number of bangs per month, because it 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 I guess it tells a somewhat misleading story. Um, but June, July, and August, <clears throat> there was a like a burn a burn in period for their. Uh, for their system to get going. Like, you know, um, April and May, it was slower. And I guess they were just kind of learning the schemes. And then by the time they actually learned it, May, June, July, they were really, really going after it. Um, the other point about the wind probability, and this is something that, uh, it, it's not wind probability, but it's along, 
it's similar to your point. And this is what Greg was working on um, back when we were trying to roll this stuff up to the game level, you know, story is that Jim Albert has something where it's like, if you're at, you know, if the pitch count is zero, zero, these are the expected number of runs. I think it's runs, right, Greg, you would, you would get, and then zero one, you know, if you, if the count goes to zero one, you drop down a little bit. If you were, you went up to one zero, you would go to this. Um, so we were trying to do, do it at the run level, not necessarily the win probability level based on the count. Um, but again, I guess we kind of ran out of time or motivation. Well, it, gets um, a little bit, it gets a little tricky. It's really complicated. Yeah. But I, I, I think what you were saying um, before about, you know, simulating or simulating this particular process, you know, if you could just simulate thousands and thousands of games based on, you know, what we've seen here, I think that probably is the, the right thing to do in terms of let's, let's adjust the probabilities at the swing level and see like what happens throughout the course of a season. Yeah. I, it's, it's actually interesting, like just thinking about also this win probability perspective of it, of even a model of just, if the bangs occurred, and I, I don't know if you looked at this, of like, do the bangs occur just any time during games? Um, like, there's the base out state, but even just like, what about the score differential impact? Like, if they're already winning by seven runs, do they cheat? So, so we actually we we sort of touched on this. We, we Ryan and I spoke this morning, and this this question came up um, uh, probably because you asked it, but. Um, Anecdotally speaking, we were like, all right, let's just look, look, let's look at two games that are next to each other um, that had very different amounts of bangs in them. And we just randomly picked two games that had different amounts of bangs in them. And the one with the more bangs, they were behind in those games and, and they, were, they were leading in the game where um, there were fewer bangs. Now, this is wildly anecdotal. It's two randomly chosen games. And, but um, I think this is something that, you know, we talk about all these like things we can do in the future. We hadn't really thought about this until like literally this morning. I think that's totally worth, worth checking on is uh, are they banging in higher leverage situations or are they banging in situations where they're behind and when they're, when they're in the lead, they're banging less often. So we, we didn't fit any models about um, we were trying to predict how the bangs affect the outcome, but we never really thought about trying to predict when are the bangs occurring? Can we build a model that will predict when a bang will happen and maybe there's certain things that predict when the bangs are happening, right? So that, that's, I mean, the data's out there. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah, no, that's, that, that, that itself is an interesting question and project. Go ahead, Ryan. I was just gonna say that I, I, I think this is, you know, one of the great things about what you're doing at um, Carnegie Mellon with the, you know, these types of competitions where you, you want, in this podcast in general, like open source sports is great because like we want to put it out there. We want other people to look at this stuff and it would be great for people to build upon what we've done. Um, maybe it'll get Greg's citation numbers up. Who knows? Um, so, but yeah, that's the thing. Know, that's... It is. Go ahead. I was just going to say in all seriousness that it, you know, there are a really, a lot of questions that can still be answered and the data are on, on the GitHub site. So this is, you know, all these questions are great and 
hopefully we can address some of them, but some, hopefully, you know, you or Costas or maybe one of the, the listeners will be able to, to take it and run with it as well. No, I think that's one of the best parts about like even like the contribution of this work, right? Is like getting this organized data set out there for people to get their hands on as well to explore these other questions. The um, because the the simulation part in of itself is a massive undertaking, right? And then doing something like we talked about, just even when do the bangs occur? You know, everyone's focused on COVID, COVID data, but, you know, of a sports data set that came out this year, this is a big one. <laughs> this is a crucial one, I think. <laughs> but um, I guess before I move on to last question, I want to, Costas, do you have any other things you want to bring up about win probability? No, yeah. I think uh, that covered everything. Okay, so the last thing I wanted to ask about that I think, like, this whole, I mean, the whole feel of this, right, is really a causal question. And I am not a person that works on causal inference problems. So, like, I, I pose you this question of what kind of causal claims can we actually make with this current analysis versus what do you think needs to be the steps to undertake for claiming causality or actually doing the, the more rigorous causal inference approach. Um, maybe Ryan, you could touch on this and uh, advertise that recent paper uh, that I saw posted. It was from 2019, uh, CMSAC. I'm, I'm just trying to avoid saying the full name each time and try to say the <laughs> abbreviation, but that in of itself is hard to say. But um, yeah. with uh, uh, Connor Gibbs, he was the presenter. Um, and Bailey Fosdick. Yeah. The, uh, um, which was cool work. Well, so... Uh, Great um, for throwing that my way because uh, you might assume I'm a, a causal expert, but I, I am no causal expert, that's for sure. But I obviously do know a little bit about it. Um, but to the, the, so if you're interested, the paper from that conference last year, 2019, is available on archives. So uh, please download it and give us some comments if you're, if you're interested. Um, anyway, related to this paper, um, I think Greg actually mentioned some of this earlier in that we, we do to some extent have kind of a natural experiment here in that some of the pitches, you know, we have these bangs, some we don't. So we, 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 we almost have like that scenario where we, we have our treatments, you know, pitches with bangs versus a, you know, a control group pitches without bangs. Um, they're obviously not, you know, randomized in any, any particular way. Um, because we don't know when they chose to actually implement the science stealing scheme versus when they didn't. But at the same time, so like if you were, and this is something that we had talked about earlier as well, like if you're just thinking about like how you're gonna do this in a causal way, the big, pro the, the big problem is you have to figure out how you're gonna match on this, match these treatments to some potential controls. In our, our the, the, essentially what we did is we just matched to all the, all the controls and fit this model. So like, are there better matching schemes that you might want, want to take? And I would say that uh, there, there could be, um, we, we haven't really done this, but you're gonna have to be really careful about how you do match because there are these assumptions built into the, the different causal model, for, or yeah, the causal model frameworks that you might want to employ in this particular case. You could get in, I mean, I, I could imagine, you know, if you're, if we were taking a, a really 
naive approach to something like this. Let's say that there's a, you know, it's a mid-July game, George Springer's at the bat, and he has a, a bang on a, an 0-1 pitch, okay? The next pitch up, there's no bang. So that's a, that's a potential control. It's possible if you include all the covariates that you might want to match on, maybe that next pitch, the 0-2 pitch or something, or the 1-1 pitch is what you're going to get matched to. And there's certainly going to be some, some issues with pulling your, your matches in a non-independent sort of way. So you, you're going to have to put in a lot of thought and consideration in terms of how you're actually going to be able to match your treatments to the controls. So while I, I, I definitely agree that, I mean, most sports data sets are kind of natural for a causal framework just because of the observational nature of the data. Um, I, I think that you could take that approach here. I don't necessarily think you're, I, I think any effect sizes that you might see are probably likely going to be attenuated to some extent. Um, but I do think that we're, we're actually capitalizing on sort of the, what I like to say is that, you know, the natural experimental setting rather than, than trying to go, go through the, uh, the, the matched setting. And then like, if, if you do match, you're probably going to do, you know, implement some sort of model similar to what we did. I mean, certainly there are other things that you might want to throw into your model, but ultimately it's going to come down to something similar to what we, what we did. So um, while I think you could do it and, you know, I'm sure there are a lot smarter people out there that know a lot more about causal than I do that could do something similar. I don't think you're really going to gain much by, by going through the matching process yeah i think i think you're right there the um i'm i, I mean i'm definitely expecting someone to do it but it's probably going to lead to the same conclusions right um and building guess, on, actually you go ahead causes i guess the question though here is uh even if you manage to do a good matching here the control and the treatment are not exactly binary zero one right because if there is not a bank, it doesn't necessarily mean that the batter knows that there would not be a change of velocity pitch, right? You know, so for that's someone that's not a baseball fan, that's a really astute observation. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea about baseball at all. <laughs> well, so this is, this is another extension is, so if you're talking about, if you want projects, um, um, the game I always like to play, I, I don't, I've probably said this before, the game I like to play is, um, if I could have any data in the world, what would I have? What would I, what would I get? And, you know, when I started this project, I was like, well, I'd love, I'd love data on the bangs, but, that, but no one's ever going to get that. And then it just like showed up. Um, the, the piece that's missing here is um, there's this latent, um, there's this latent factor here that is, was the scheme on or was it off? Right. And we do not have information about that. You could estimate this. It's, it's some, there's some latent variable here that is, was the scheme on or off? And you can, you get information from it through the, through the bangs. So there's like some possible hidden Markov modeling or something like that, that you could, you could implement to, to determine when the bang, when the scheme was on and when it was off. And now you have, if you had, if you had that, you could set up where now the, if the scheme was on and there's no bang, that's actually a signal. Right? Because all, all we're able to do with this data set is say, what's the difference between a bang and no bang? Right? And we're, we're, we're sort of implicitly here using the pitch type as, 
we're, we're controlling on, on the pitch type, right? So if, if it was a fastball and there was no bang versus fastball with a bang, um, we're sort of, we're, we're using that the best we can, but that's all we can do because we don't know whether the scheme was on or not, right? So if you could, if you could somehow model whether the scheme was on or not and then use that in a, in a model, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it that much. Do you know what I'm saying, though? Yeah, no, it's it's because I mean I was even just thinking in my head of when you're talking about turning the scheme on or off, how it connects to other seasons, right? This wasn't the only season they did this. Am I correct on that? Uh, likely it was not. Okay, so this but this is the only season that this brave, unsung hero of the internet, Tony Adams, did, collected the data for, though, right? 2017. I well, I also I also think they may have, it was 2017. The other the other issue here is that they may have they may have been cheating in different ways, right? There's that there's that famous clip of Altuve hitting the walk off home run in in the playoffs. And well, like, I don't know that, that that gets into the conspiracy theory. <laughs> I think the bang thing is pretty definitive. <laughs> I don't this, know this about the definitive. oh they got a buzzer or whatnot. Like I I read all sorts of things. I remember one week. Well, but there's there's also other ways to cheat besides banging, right? You there's there's rumors about there's all these rumors out there. There's about where there's buzzers. There's thing there's they were doing this differently when they were away. There there was like a, a pitcher in the in the bullpen putting his arm over the fence or not over the fence to indicate pitches. I mean, there's all these rumors out there, but the bangs are the one that are so obvious, right? Because you, you can hear the bangs. And the, I think it was also the Red Sox, right? With Alex Cora when he came over, he, wasn't he supposedly, weren't they supposedly doing this too? There's, there's rumors about that. Yeah. Cause he came. I, get, the, he I, I guess what I think is, I wonder if it would be an interesting, if it's even feasible as you're talking about like, to detect when this uh, when the system is on, of these changes in what you've seen with the presence of bangs, of really affecting uh, the decision to swing, and also um, you know, contact by the pitch types. Um, so it would be I mean it would be really challenging, right, to not have the bangs there, but to try to figure out if you can estimate when it is occurring in these other situations. Um, that in of itself is another big project. <laughs> yeah. one, of, one, of the other, one of the other original questions about this was um, someone wanted to know, could you, uh, could you build a model with the Astros to, to try to predict when they were stealing signs and see what, it, what, is it, what does behavior look like when they're stealing signs? And then could you build a model so well that you could apply it to other teams and detect sign stealing if other teams were stealing signs? That is a incredibly difficult question, but that was a, that was one of the original questions that, that I that I thought about with um with some other baseball people. And could it even point to the moment of a hitter that is just so smart that they know what pitch is coming in certain situations? <laughs> like I don't know, it could connect to that even the the, yeah. the batter that knows how to guess the pitch. Um, right. It would even be a funny way of assessing that. Um, right, right. It's interesting. I, so I guess the final thing I should say wasn't actually the causal thing. Final thing I skipped over in my, you know, the show notes here is um, probably the crux of the matter is like of these findings, like what did you find? There are a lot of things you found. So what did you find that was most interesting to you? What, what did it surprise you? You know, even when it comes to these differences among these players, like what was your biggest takeaways from this? Um, so 
for me, it's, it's how big these effects are, the effect sizes are. Um, the, the I think the, the, with the, in the presence of a bang, um, the odds ratio of, of swinging goes down 28%, um, which is pretty substantial, but the contact model is crazy. Um, the odds of contact on an off-speed pitch go up 80% in the presence of a bang on an off-speed pitch. Those are, those are huge differences. When I, when I see numbers like this, I go, oh, we did something wrong, right? And I went back and checked it, and I, I, can't, I do not see what we did wrong. But these are, these are enormous effect sizes, and they're, you know, they're, they're, benef- they're on-field changes that are occurring uh, that are highly associated with them. See, I'm being careful not saying causally related. They're, they're, being, they're highly associated with these bangs, right? And, and just the, the size of the effects, I think, were, were huge. And they, the George I mean, Springer stuff. I mean, the Astros were, were a smart organization, right? So they observed it was working and kept doing it. Right? Oh, yeah. That's part of this. Is They wouldn't have done this a whole season and on if it didn't work. And it clearly – you're talking about like the effect size. In it, that's why it's, it's one of these papers where it's just like overwhelming the entire time of just like all this evidence of the impact it has. It's like yeah. it clearly had an impact. <laughs> Like not just oh yeah. some it's no it it had an impact, and that's yeah. why they kept doing it. Yeah, and I, I mean I I think that's kind of like my biggest takeaway is that you know I think this should be an even bigger deal than it actually is when it comes to them cheating. Like we were we were kind of talking about this earlier. Like I remember you know when the when the Patriots were you know like accused of deflating footballs or whatever. And it seems like you heard about that for seasons and seasons afterwards. Like anytime something comes up, it's like, oh, the Patriots were like messing with the balls and blah, blah, blah. And here, I mean, like there was a lot of media attention around it, but the team won the World Series and they were cheating. Like this is a huge deal. Like these are measurable effects that, that we, we've observed here. And they won the freaking World Series. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's like more direct effects versus. You know? like, I, I think I heard a great analogy. We were, we were talking about. We, go we ahead. were talking about. Oh, sorry. Did no, I go ahead. out? Yeah, no, okay, I think I, it was I, mine. Zoom. Okay. I, yeah, I, I was I was saying you know earlier that they they lost like two first or they they lost two years of their first and second round draft picks, but like. For a good organization, you know, I mean, that, that's awful. You, you never want to lose draft picks. But, like, if you're drafting 25th, 20th or, you know, 25th, and this, I'm completely making this up. But, like, if you are drafting, you know, high in the first round or high in the second round, as the Astros probably are because they're a good team, um, you know, their third round pick may have it, – it's probably a smaller probability of making an impact at the major league level, but probably not that much – lower you know so they they didn't really get hit that hard in my opinion losing five million dollars you know as a fine that's like who obviously for us that's a huge deal but you know for a major league baseball team organization like that's not a big deal the gm did get fired that is a big deal and the coach i guess but um but at the same time i mean i i feel like we should still be talking about this you know like this and obviously the and we are, I guess, because we're on this podcast. But we're talking about, they, uh, about it right, right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but the uh, what was I? Sorry, somebody. I, I'm 
above my garage and my wife just came home from picking up my son, I guess. Uh, there was a lot of noise going on. I apologize for that. Um, but the, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just think that it should be a bigger deal. And, you know, obviously we saw the pitchers throwing at the batters in the most recent season, you know, after all this came out, but that's totally justified. Keep throwing at them, you know? This is I, I'm not going to go that far. Oh, but I do not, agree with he's you. He's not advocating. I'm not advocating for violence. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I do agree with you completely, though, on it. It's kind of weird how we had, what, with Deflate Gate. The worst part is we actually had bad statistical analysis. We had the, the Warren Sharp fumbling thing debacle. It was bad analysis, and everybody keeps talking about it. Here, we actually have appropriate statistical analysis, but it's baseball, and for some reason, they don't equate this to the same point of view as steroids. So even though this is literally direct on-field impact that we can that you clearly are showing evidence of, and I mean, what you just said points to further why that one project of how you know finding how many wins does this lead to, and then you could say, okay, MLB, Rob Manfred, you came up with this penalty, and those draft picks, yeah, you know, how many wins does that add to? Nowhere near what they actually gained from the cheating, right? I mean, that would be a great analysis in of itself. Um, yeah, and, and just to, to follow up on that, then, first of all, in Pittsburgh, people still talk about Patriots and sitting. Uh, that's a different story. But uh, the, um, the interesting thing also might be, and again, I, I don't know anything about baseball, um, but it will be interesting to see also if there was any effect on the player level and whether players, for example, that had boost, uh, boosted their stats, they got better contracts. Uh, down the line, uh, and whether this also impacted the players. Well, so so the the player that we found with the biggest benefit here in terms of contact model was George Springer, and I was just on I was just on Twitter not not during this podcast because I'm paying attention to this, but uh, Springer's probably going to sign with the Mets, and so we'll see we'll see what his contract is, and and we'll it's like happening right now, um, and we'll see what that contract looked like, and I I, I wonder if you could that'd be interesting. Can you quantify? In dollar amount, how much mm-hmm. the bangs helped uh, a player? Like, how much? How much were the bangs worth dollar-wise for George Springer? I mean, yeah, that's an interesting question. And what you should do, Greg, is tweet this podcast and link to now uh, Mets owner uh, Stephen Cohen <laughs> to ensure that he listens to this. I mean, this is this is this is value right here. Um, it's true. It's it's my. Uh, my ticket into into the world of Major League Baseball. <laughs> the um, so I think I think that really kind of wraps up because I I think what you guys what what this paper is is the launch point, and it will look back on as this seminal work in terms of bringing this data set out more towards the public to get attention to it for then people to really start to work on because like you really just show a lot of evidence of the cheating going on and having this effect. Um, and so it'll be really interesting to see the follow-up work as well. Um, so we're going to point towards and like the show notes and advertise like with the links to the data set repository. Um, and, you know, just add like, you know, this is, this was the winner of the reproducible research competition. Um, 
you know, part of it is because of, like the evidence is overwhelming and is really good, really clear walkthrough analysis of going through it. That's just, you know, this was just something you, you found and that interested in and were able to step through. And, you know, it's not like you did, ha you didn't have to do anything complicated to view effects. It's really simple models in the end that drive it. Um, yeah. Thank so, you. yeah, uh, with yeah, that, you know, any... And I'm sure you'll get uh, more podcast invitations, maybe from s smaller podcasts like Freakonomics or stuff like that. But um, yeah, <laughs> just be ready. And we will find you. You were on here first. The um... <laughs> but yes, Custis, if you have anything else to add, um, otherwise, no. just thank uh, Ryan and Greg for joining us uh, for the final episode of 2020, and a very appropriate one to end on to hopefully kick off. Uh, more work in 2021 with the data set and build those citations up for, for Greg. <laughs> I got to get my H index up. <laughs> well, I, I re really appreciate you all, you know, well, first off hosting the competition um, because that's, you know, awesome. And I think I, you know, I will continue to send students who do good work to try to, you know, enter the competition and, you know, even my own work. Uh, and then thank you for having us on the podcast. It's always fun to talk about, your work, especially when it, you know, I think it appeals to a pretty wide audience. Am I supposed to thank you too? Any, any parting words, Greg? The, uh, uh, I don't know if you can match Ryan in terms of being as polite and fitting, but you know. <laughs> so I, no, it's not, it's not my brand. Um, I, um, I think this is, I think what, what you do at Carnegie Mellon with the sports analytics conference um, and this open, this open source competition is, is great. And um, I, I, I hope that, you know, as, as you move forward and keep doing this, I hope more people will be releasing their data sets um, and, and other people can do follow-up work. I hope there's, few, I hope there's data sets from this competition that I, I get really interested in in the future and I can have students working on them or I, I might end up working on them, but um, it's, just great to have incentive to to get this stuff out there right I have, I have a bunch of stuff going on and without this conference I would have kept putting it off it would have been like um I'll just do it later I'll do it later I'll do it later but there was like a definitive date for it and uh it it, it you know it helped us get our acts together right and um it, it's it just gives us a goal um to shoot for and it, it, it got the data out there and I'm, I'm really excited to see what what else comes out of this this data set so what I'm trying to say is Ron you're a hero well, no, I'm not a hero. I think Rebecca Nugent and Sam Ventura are heroes. Yeah. That's, but yeah, th thank you both for the, the kind words. That goes about, without saying. Yeah, yeah. Thank you both for the the kind words about the conference. And you know, really, it's a testament though of the type of work you've done and being included with uh, making things open, right? I mean, that's the name of the podcast, right? Open source sports. Um, yeah, and yeah, it, it goes without saying. Like it, the conference, and thus this, you know, the the availability of this work, right? Uh, goes once again uh professor rebecca nugent and also uh the legend himself sam ventura um, the legend key roles in organizing <laughs> all of this uh but. so ron i have a question for you is carnegie mellon does the summer sports whatever you call it right summer undergraduate research program there's going to be more information about that coming soon so stay okay. tuned if you are an undergrad student listening to this podcast. Okay, because, uh, you know, a fun summer project might be to use this data set and do something interesting with I it. I agree 100%. Yeah, that's right. That's great. That sounds awesome. But All right. Thank you both for joining us. And 
Thank you all Thank for you. listening. I guess actually real final conclusion is everybody knows where to find Greg on Twitter at stats in the wild. He's been a guest before, but where can they find you, Ryan? Uh, it's R T Elmore, R T E L M O R E. Um, that's my Twitter handle. All right. Thank just you. search. I mean, you, you, you can always find some reply to Greg too. So that's, that's, easy. <laughs> that's true. Happy holidays, everyone. <laughs> Thanks for listening. And we'll get back to stay tuned for our Twitter feed for what we'll figure out to do in 2021. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Greg and Ryan. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Open Source Sports Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at OpenSRC Sports. You can follow myself, Ron Yurko, at stat underscore Ron and Costas Pelicrinus at K Pelicrinus. We'd appreciate it if you could take a moment to subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. And you can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many more. Thanks for listening.